0: Well, good evening and welcome back to our pastor's class here at Hickory Grove. It's so good to have you joining us tonight as we continue in our series uh, that we've described as respectable sins. Now, that's not original to us. It's because we're doing a study through a book entitled Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. And I know that's a somewhat provocative title, and it's that way for a reason. What Jerry is pointing out in this book that is just so helpful are those sins in our lives that we tend to not think of as sins. You know, in a detached sense, you probably recognize the things you ought not do. But in the moment, they feel so normal. Uh, you hate to admit it, but they feel so natural that you, you're you not as convicted by them as, biblically, we ought to be. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through some of these respectable sins. We, we started the first two weeks by just laying a foundation, a, a groundwork, as it were, for those reasons why we need to take this seriously and the one true hope we have to ever overcoming these sins, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked at our first respectable sin and that one was the sin of ungodliness, which I know sounds pretty terrible, but there's so many species of ungodliness in our lives that we don't take altogether seriously. Now today's gonna be tougher. Today's respectable sin that we're going to look at in God's word is the sin of anxiety. Now, instantly you may hear that word anxiety and hearing it be associated with the word sin may strike you uncomfortably. And I, I guess I ought to say at the outset before I pray and we dig into the Bible, there are real clinical uh, cases of anxiety. I don't deny that, nor do I deny the common grace of medication amongst other things, counseling, etc. cetera, that is so needed and helpful for so many men and women and children. But what I want you to see is anxiety in its broadest sense. Some analogies would be, uh, synonyms would be worry, uh, fear, those gnawing things that get to you and just cause you to have this anxious worry, this anxious care. Underneath that, biblically, is nothing short of sin. And so we're going to look at that for the next few moments together. And as we do, I pray that as we look at, in particular today, we're going to look at three texts. I pray these texts will be a firm foundation for you. There'll be pillars upon which you can stand as anxious cares tempt you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. And so before we read these texts, why don't you join me as we pray. And let's ask God to help us sit under and submit to his word as he gives us a word on anxiety. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, now I ask that you would come and that you would speak in and through me. Oh Lord, speak in spite of me and edify your people that are joining us tonight. I pray that for the anxious, you would lift the burden off their shoulders. For those caught in a web of worry, I pray, O oh God, that you would free them from this. God, for those who are just stuck, it seems incapacitated in fear. I pray that you would reveal them, reveal yourself to them as mighty and as worthy of their praise. Oh God, I pray that you would help them see that your word can be trusted. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, anxiety can be a cruel dictator. At times, worry and fear and anxieties reign over our lives can feel totalitarian. It seems to touch every aspect of our being, whether it be our emotional health, psychologically speaking, uh, whether it, it, sometimes it even affects us physically, not to mention spiritually. If you are in the grip of anxiety this evening as you tune in, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's just... It feels like a totalitarian dictator has you, and you can often feel powerless. You know, anxiety can also feel tyrannical, meaning it controls everything, and it just starts changing you and turning your head and making you do things that, I mean, if you just take a step back, you wonder why on earth you're doing it. So, for example, if you are presently concerned, anxious, worry, and doubt about you know, something as, as primary and basic as finances, have you noticed what it can do to you? When you allow anxious cares over something as simple as finances, it can start leading you like a tyrannical leader. It can start leading you into greed. It can start leading you into covetousness. And heaven forbid, it can take you all the way down the path of stealing. Maybe you find yourselves wrapped up in anxiety over success, you know, your job prospects, what you're gonna do with your life. If you allow that to fester, you're gonna find yourself being consistently irritable. You find yourself irritable at home a lot. Have you ever wondered if the reason you're so irritable is because you have so much anxious care about your direction and trajectory in your career path, and when you come home from work, you're letting it all out on your family? Irritability's just gotcha. It can make you unthoughtful where you're living for work and all of your life and energy is fixated on what you can do to improve whatever your career path is and your family's left by the wayside. That's part of the tyrannical rule of anxiety. Maybe you find yourself anxious about a relationship that you want to be in or presently are in. If you find yourself real anxious there, you can quickly find yourself being You know, an uncaring individual, uh, somebody who starts being irresponsible in what you do and how you present yourself, how you act, your deportment with uh, your significant other. If you find yourself anxious about your reputation and what people think of you, I mean, I, I trust you know this to be true. What is the temptation? When you're anxious about what other people think, you are tempted to start lying and exaggerating creating this persona that is a facade. It's not true, it's not real. Maybe you find yourself today anxious about your health. So many are. And when you find yourself just wrapped up in worry over your future health prospects, it can make you paranoid, incredibly irritable, and it can make you start lacking trust in anybody or anything but the latest expert you've read. Herein lies the totalitarian, tyrannical rule of anxiety. And we need a word from the Lord. When we confront something as simple as worry, and we take a step back and recognize its grip on our lives, we need God to speak to this. And praise be to Him, He has. And so today, if by His providence you are tuning in and you are a person who is consistently battling anxiety, worry, anxious care, if that's you, I want you, indeed I implore you, to give yourself to three texts that I want to walk you through briefly tonight. Three pillars, as it were, that you can stand on and have a firm foundation. You know, if you had a a stool that only had two pillars, it'd be a balancing act. You'd be wobbling back and forth and it wouldn't take much to fall but you put that third leg in, that third pillar, there is a newfound stability that'll keep you when anxious cares start coming, creeping into your heart, mind, and soul. And so today, what I'd like to do is I want to lay, as I I address three texts, I want to address two main things that we see in the book tonight. The first thing I want you to see is I want you to see what's underneath anxiety. I want to show you that anxiety is, in fact, at its root, sin. And I want to show you exactly what that root is. You see the fruit. The fruit is worrying and just freaking out over small things often, even if they're big things, and we'll address that in a moment. But what's the root? What's causing that fruit to grow? And Jerry Bridges argues, and the scripture makes abundantly clear, that the root that bears the fruit of anxiety is the sin of distrust. I want you to mark that down. The sin of anxiety is indeed the sin of distrust. At its root, when you are anxious, you are in fact not trusting God. And I want you to see from this uh, three different texts, Three different ways, three different evidences, uh, you could say, that anxiety is us lacking trust in God. And so the first text I want to draw your attention to is Philippians chapter 4. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Philippians 4, and I want you to look with me at verses 6 and 7. Well-known verses in the book of Philippians. And I want you to see the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he gave us a very clear diagnosis on what anxiety and worry really is. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Let me read it for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I want you to see. Firstly, and we see this in this text, is one way that anxiety is indeed a sin of distrust. Is first off, we need to see that it is us. When we are anxious, we are distrusting God's providence. And we see this in this text, because notice, the Apostle Paul says, it can almost feel a little callous, he says, don't be anxious. You're like, well, Paul, I mean, I, I, it's not that easy. I can't just not be anxious. You're just telling me, and how do, I, how do I do this? And I want you to see what he says further. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, that just sounds stunning. Seriously, Paul, Anything? Anything? I know I probably ought not to be anxious about a parking spot or missing a flight. You know, these small things like the unknown, somebody else's opinion. I know I'm not supposed to be anxious about those, and it seems irrational at times. But Paul, what about those big things in life? What about my marriage that's collapsing? What about my child that's wayward? What about that cancer diagnosis I just got a few weeks ago? Oh, Paul, I don't get it. What about the job that I just can't find after months, if not years, of looking? Paul, can I really not be anxious in the face of those things? And the Apostle Paul, in this text, is bringing to our minds and hearts this glorious reality that our God is a God of providence, which is a big word that essentially means God is in control of all things and He is ever-present. God is not a detached, distant God. He knows every single thing that's transpiring in your mind and heart right now. He knows every anxious care, every thought, every seed of worry, bitterness, and doubt. He knows what's going on, and He is actively involved, and He is calling us to remember that when we are in the bonds of anxiety in that very moment, we are forgetting Him. We are forgetting that He is in control of all things, and that's why He, through the Apostle Paul, is declaring to my heart and to yours, do not be anxious anxious about anything. But then he says, in other words, here's what you ought to do in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just present those requests to God. Uh, that's a more uh, that's several words that describe one simple concept. He's calling us to pray. Put that on the shelf. We're gonna come back to that at the end of the lesson tonight. We'll have a lot of that application at the end. Let's focus then right now on the sin underneath anxiety. He's saying it's, a, it's our temptation to forget God and his providence. But he also gives us another layer. And he shows us in verse seven that it's not just us being tempted to forget God's providence, it's also us ignoring God's providence. We tend to ignore him because look what happens in verse seven. He says, if, if you stop being anxious and you go to God in prayer, he promises that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, It's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. What Paul is teaching us is that if we take God at His word, if we trust that He is actively, sovereignly, providentially in control of all things, then we are going to be given a peace that doesn't make sense to an outside world. And here's the temptation. When we are anxious, we are in essence ignoring God's promise and saying, you know what, I want to pave my path to peace. I don't trust your path, Lord. I don't want that path. I believe that this path is the preferable path to peace. And the insanity of it all is you know as well as I do. I have been had anxious cares, as have you, I trust. Do they ever lead to peace? Does worrying about something ever do any good? I mean, of course it doesn't. That's ridiculous. It never does. It just eats you alive. And Paul is calling us, remember, my path, the Lord's path, is so much more preferable to yours. Just take a step back with me and think about the path we tend to pave. What are those paths we pave to peace? What happens when you get anxious? What's your habit? Most people have habits somewhere along this spectrum. Perhaps you start to withdraw. Your personality is just to kind of take a step back and kind of become a hermit, you get quiet. Or maybe you are one of those more demonstrative personalities and when you get anxious, you you get irritable and angry and you're just somebody that's no fun to live with at all at the house. You just get grumpy and irritable. Maybe you have this tendency, as so many do, to begin to self-medicate, which you can do in a variety of ways. You can do so in more respectable ways, like you know, eating something that you probably shouldn't. You know, too much sweets and whatever. Or it may be a little less respectable. You you medicate with actual medication you ought not to, or uh, a drug, some sort of substance abuse. Everybody has their own variety of ways to self-medicate. It's a path. We tend to pave in our finite, short sighted, myopic minds. And Paul is saying there is a path to peace that is inexplicable to an outside watching world. He says, in those moments when you are anxious, instead of going down those paths you so want to go down, just stop. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Just present those requests to God, and here's the path He'll pave. There is going to be a peace that's going to come to you that will not make sense. There will not be logic to it. This is a wonderful, precious promise, and so we must today confess before God our tendency to forget Him and to ignore Him, in particular His providence. For anxiety, in the final analysis, Is distrusting God's providential care over you and me. That's the first thing I want you to see in this first text, but I told you there's three texts, and I want to draw your mind to another text. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. We heard the Apostle Paul and what he has to say to us about anxiety. Now let's hear from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus famously spoke on the subject of anxiety beginning in verse 25. I want to read verse 25 and move all the way down to verse 33. So read with me if you will Matthew 6 beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. You see, is, is not life more than food? And is the body not more than clothing? Just look at the birds of the air. Well, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Just consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Well, they neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his resplendent glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not... Much more clothe you, O you of little faith. So therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day. Is its own trouble. You see, what Jesus is drawing to our mind and heart is He's adding another layer. Just as the Apostle Paul made clear that the sin of anxiety is, in fact, the sin of distrusting God's providence, now Jesus, He helps us see that, furthermore, the sin of anxiety is the sin of distrusting God's provision, His provision in our lives. Now, here's the truth of the matter. You and I oftentimes live as if God isn't good. We find ourselves reflected in the person that Jesus is referencing in Matthew 6, 25, where Jesus is basically trying to encourage this individual to say, listen, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. These are these basic necessities, and I am a good God who knows, loves, and cares for you and will provide you. Have I ever let you down before? Now, how often do we find ourselves absolutely consumed with working towards our own comfort, our own sense of basic standard of living? And if anything falls short of that, we get worked up. I mean, this is true. We find ourselves in these positions where all of our life ends up being centered around being comfortable. And Christ is calling you and I to see that when we live with that spirit, that strange uh, view towards comfort and comfort alone, when we lack a trust in God's provision in our lives and we try to do everything we can to ensure that we are going to maintain whatever standard we're living, Jesus is basically telling us, listen, there is a faith problem underneath this all. When you live for material things, when you are consumed with worry over what standard of living you might have, When you aren't trusting God for the basics, there is a major faith problem underneath this all. I think a good analogy would be something like this. When we have anxiety over things like this before God, it is as if you were looking at your spouse and saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe you love me or you care for me. I don't take a word. I don't believe it. I know you've said it. I know you've demonstrated it but I don't trust you. Now, can you imagine telling that to your spouse, particularly a loving, kind, gracious, sacrificial spouse? Those would be daggers to the heart, and that is what we do in essence when we look to a good God who has so faithfully clothed us, so faithfully fed us, has met our needs, He has given us our daily bread, He has preserved you, and when you are wrapped up in anxiety, when I have these anxious cares in that moment, I am looking God in the face and saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe you love me and care for me. I just in this moment don't believe you're good. And when we do this, we start living in a, in a way that declares to a watching world that God is not really as good as the Bible says he is. And therefore, we are going to worry and fret until we have sufficient control to make our lives what we want them to be. And we also see a second layer in Matthew 6. We see this uh, reference to the Gentiles. He says, listen, don't do all these things. Even the Gentiles seek after all these things. And when Jesus uses that word Gentiles, he is using a word that broadly is speaking of unbelievers, those who do not know Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Jesus is saying, this is how an unbeliever acts. You see, when you live in anxiety, Jesus is saying, you're not just living like I'm not good, you're living like I'm not real. You are living like a functional atheist. And so just in my own soul, I recognize that when I have worries, when I have anxieties, when I have cares in my heart, and they are, I am not actively mortifying them, I am not seeking to repent of them, I am in essence living as if God is not real. I am acting as if I am the great divine sovereign God of the universe, and I'm not a good one. Man, am I falling short in infinite ways. Therefore, I worry. Therefore, I fret. Therefore, I am in the bonds of anxiety. And so Jesus, he is calling you and I to see the sin of anxiety. Indeed, particularly the sin of distrusting God's provision. Now I wanna show you one third and final layer to this sin of anxiety, unless you think mercy. This whole message is just nothing but a negative dump on the sin of anxiety. We're gonna end with wonderful hope. We're gonna end with some sort of practical call for each of us to fight this sin. So hang in there till the end. But number three, I want you to turn with me to one third and final text, and this is a short two verses. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter five, And I want to direct your attention to verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, we've heard from Paul, we've heard from Jesus. Now let's hear third and finally from the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 5, let me read beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. For you. The Apostle Peter is reminding us that underneath the sin of anxiety is this tendency towards pride. An anxious soul is oftentimes a proud soul in a a number of unusual ways. And so Peter is showing us a few things, and I want you to see this under this major category. Just as we saw Paul teach us that anxiety is in essence the sin of distrusting God's providence. And just as we saw Jesus teach us that anxiety is, in essence, the sin of distrusting God's provision, I want you to see Peter show us that anxiety is, in essence, the sin of distrusting God's power. We tend to not trust His power, His ability, when we are wrapped up in anxious care. Because notice with me, he declares, you need to humble yourselves under His mighty hand. Humble yourself. If you are wrapped up in anxiety, you need to humble yourself before you cast your anxieties to him. If you don't, your pride is going to have you so puffed up that you're not going to see your need to cast them at Christ's feet. Your pride is going to prevent you from seeing Christ's inestimable riches of grace and kindness. Your pride is going to keep you from, as Paul taught us, going down his wonderful path to peace. And you will set off with a a stubborn, arrogant uh, inclination to pave your own path. And so, put all these together and see with me as Peter shows us that we've got to recognize that pride is underneath us Also, just confess it to God and say, Oh God, forgive me, I've been so worked up about this because I'm too proud to admit that I have no control over it. In fact, that's another thing that anxiety does. It doesn't just betray our pride. Anxiety also betrays our control. Just notice with me the second half of verse 6. He says, at the proper time, God may exalt you if you humble yourself. In other words, there is a time that God has ordained that is not our time often. We don't even know it, but He is going to do it in His good time under His good purposes. And so part of this battle against anxiety is just recognizing our, our desire to have control over all things. Are you, a, are you a natural, uh, naturally a controlling person? Somebody who likes to have your ducks in a row? somebody who doesn't like surprises, there's pride underneath that oftentimes, and there is an insatiable desire to have a firm grip and control over everything that's happening. And you know as well as I do that in life, that is a fool's errand. You cannot control all things. And so we just need to see this glorious truth that he says in verse 7, just cast your anxieties on him, and he's going to care for you. So let's take a step back now and ask, how do we do that? How do we do that? I want you to see, we saw first that sin is, or anxiety is, in essence, the sin of distrust. Now let's see that the way we fight this, the fight against anxiety, it is, in the final analysis, the fight of faith. You gotta fight the fight of faith to have victory over anxious cares in your heart. And so let's just see three simple ways we do this, and let's See him through an analogy that I borrowed from a, another pastor. Uh, just imagine you're driving down the street. Uh, you're, you're maybe on a highway. You're driving, and all of a sudden, this dump truck that's well in front of you hits this real muddy puddle, and this big old glob of mud comes flying on your windshield. Now, you're going 70 miles an hour down the highway, and now mud has completely obstructed your view on the windshield. That, by analogy, and we're going to carry this through in a moment, That by analogy is what anxiety can do to us. We're driving down the highway of life so to speak and anxiety can obstruct our view. It's like mud has covered our windshield and we just can't see and we feel like we're about to spin out of control. That's what anxiety can do to you. It disorients you, it can scare you, it can make you feel like you have absolutely zero control over that situation. Now what ought you do if you were driving down a highway and mud were to obstruct your view. The first thing you ought to do is apply the brake. You can't keep going 70 miles at that moment. You're going to have to slow down and ensure that you maintain control because you're not going to be able to quickly enough clear the windshield to see that you're not going to run into the truck in front of you you need to slow down. And by analogy, this is what the Lord calls us to do when anxiety obstructs our view. He calls us to stop, to just stop. That's why Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. That's why Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. In other words, stop doing what you're doing in this moment. And Jesus tells us to do something different. He says, instead, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, stop seeking your own path of anxiety at that moment and just recognize you need a different path. Apply the break and start to recognize, Lord, I can't keep going down this path. I can't keep, I can't keep stewing about it. Lord, I can't keep just worrying endlessly about this. It's not doing any good. I, I can't keep getting angry. I can't keep self-medicating. Lord, I need a different path. Apply the break and recognize that seeking Him is a new path for you. You may not even know where, where you're going yet, but just seek Him and say, Lord, I need a change. I'm repenting of this, Lord, help me to walk in your path. Okay, so you've, you've applied the brake. Now what should you do? Well, the problem is there's probably big globs, maybe something's kinda hardened on the, on the windshield, And there's a reason why cars are built with uh, those tanks that can put all that windshield washer fluid. So you probably ought to take the little stick behind your steering wheel and start squirting some of that windshield washer fluid on your windshield. That's gonna make it much easier for the windshield wipers to work. And by analogy, that windshield washer fluid is something like us going to God in prayer. It's us applying the brake and then seeking God and then recognizing, God, I need you. So when you have anxious cares in your life, just stop going down those paths that you always go down and go to God and say, oh God, I need you. Bank on the promise of Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, no matter what's causing you to worry, By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, just present your requests to God. Just bring them before Him, cast those anxieties at His feet. Just pray and start praying, oh God, would you give me wisdom and discernment? Help me to believe you, which brings me to my third and final thing. We've got, we've got, we've got to seek it. We've got, we've got, we've got to speak to Him in prayer and then we need to finally believe him. And I would say that is analogous to finally turning on the windshield wipers. The minute your view's obstructed, you apply the brake, You squirt some windshield washer fluid and you start turning those windshield wipers and it's going to start knocking the mud out of the way. And so you'll at last be able to see clearly again. And the way we do that in the Christian walk is that we start believing what he said. So you need to turn to God by going to his word. You need to pray to him and ask for his spirit to come and minister his word to you. And then you need to start fighting the fight of faith by believing him actively every day. Now, how do you do that? How do you actively believe every day, perhaps the greatest way you can do that is by taking promises in the Bible and actually memorizing them, believing them, meditating on them, chewing on them, and preaching them to your heart every day. So, for example, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher and you've been worried that you're not as effective as you used to be. You see your class just not as engaged as maybe they once were, and you're wondering, are are, are my folks listening to me? If that's you, just preach this promise to you. Isaiah fifty-five eleven, my word will not return void. And just bank on the promise, God, if I am faithful to your word, you will do the work to plant seeds. Maybe you find yourself afraid. You're just worried. You're scared about something. Preach this promise to yourself in Psalm 56, verse 3, Lord, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you Maybe you are just finding yourself afflicted and feeling really hopeless because there's so much suffering, so many circumstances that are adverse in your life. Bank on the promise of Romans 5, 3-5, which says, Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and a hope does not put us to shame. Fight the fight of faith. And brothers and sisters, you will see that anxiety, though it will come, It will not permanently obstruct your view. Apply the brakes by seeking God in His Word. Turn that windshield washer fluid on by going to God in prayer and getting all of those things loosened up so that once you start believing God and banking on His promises, all those lies that are causing you to worry will start washing away. And at last, you will be able to see clearly through the fog of worry and anxiety and despair and doubt and be able to trust that we have a God who is a good, loving and gracious God who bids we come to him with everything, no matter what circumstances in your life, come to him in prayer. I want to pray today and ask that for you, if you have an anxious heart tonight, that God will be so gracious to you that you will taste and see as he promises in Philippians four verse seven, a peace that surpasses understanding. And when you do, give glory to your Father in heaven who knows you, loves you, and cares for you and bids that you and I not be anxious about anything. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, thank you that you are a gracious God and that you have graciously promised us a peace that surpasses understanding. And so give it God, Oh, Lord, I pray that you would grant that peace to your people. May we fight this fight of faith by seeking you, by speaking to you, and by believing in what you have said. Do this, Lord, we pray, for the glory of Jesus and for the good of our witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.